Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. And welcome to Ranks FC and to the first in a new series of deep dives on this podcast about a specific club that we find interesting right now for better or for worse. Every couple of weeks, we're going to be releasing an extra episode dialed in to what's going on at a specific club for good, bad or other reasons and try and examine the machinations of what's making them tick. Today, and for our first deep dive, we're talking about Manchester United, who seem to dominate the back pages of the newspapers here in the UK and around the world constantly at the moment. United are perhaps England's biggest club, a global commercial behemoth that have lifted 20 league titles and 67 trophies in their history. But at the moment, there's both malaise and a civil war at Old Trafford, once the crown jewel of English football stadiums and now a crumbling legacy of mismanagement and decay. It's an apt metaphor for the club itself. With the fan base adamant that the Glazers, the majority shareholder family who owns 69% of the club, have to leave in order to start the road to recovering past glories, there's been some movement in the ownership situation with a bid from British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe, expected to be accepted very soon. Ratcliffe is the owner of the Ineos Group and currently part of the management team of Nice, who sit top of France's Ligue 1. But what does the future hold and how do United overturn this malaise to try and make inroads into returning to the elite of English football. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is our beloved Ranks FC transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? I'm very good, mate. Yeah, love the way that you um, yeah, set up the scene here for me uh, to, to dive into this. I have to say, if I was a Man United fan right now, I think I'd be pretty optimistic about the fact that things are about to change. 
And even if you weren't fully behind the Ratcliffe bid and you wanted the Qataris to come in, look, it's going to be better than it was. I really do believe that. The, the conversations that I've been having this week with people inside football um, definitely send a message to myself that I should probably expect Man United to start getting better from the new year. And I mean that on every front, to be honest with you, from off the field stuff to on the field stuff. It's all going to be reflected. When people talk about Jim Ratcliffe only getting a 25% stake in Man United, they seem to think that, well, it's not going to be enough. We've got to remember, like, so Jim Ratcliffe is going to be focusing on the football element, right? Surely that's the most important element of all. It's the thing that's been most broken since Sir Alex Ferguson left here. I don't know, mate. You've been to Old Trafford recently. Yes, a lot of it's broken. Transfers, managers, the team. They've all been rubbish. Fix all that. You can you can rebuild the ground step by step, and you can you can you know you can plug up the holes in the roof. Um, we wouldn't be talking about the holes in the roof if Man United were winning football matches. It's just we're talking about it because the place does feel like it's caving in. And I think over the course of this podcast, as we discuss what's going to be happening, we'll start to realise that probably to the despair of people who don't like Man United. They might finally be looking towards brighter times. Okay. Well, I have questions about it, so I think we'll we'll get into it. But you've been speaking to various contacts in your extensive Football World Black Book about Manchester United. You're going to walk us through the future for the club at this crucial juncture in five steps or so. Yeah, basically, um, it's it's tough to get um, too deep into the details of it because there are so many different layers. But I think to start at number five... Look, this is where we're at. The CEO is changing. Uh, Richard Arnold is leaving Manchester United. And it's a it's a huge signal of intent, really, for Manchester United and where they intend to move forwards here. People were wondering what the, the indicators would be for when Sir Jim Ratcliffe comes in to United and where would he start in terms of um, changing the philosophy of the club. And he's gone right to the very top by setting this... Um, wheel in motion before Ineos have even landed at Old Trafford. This is really, really significant. And I think it's a good step too, because, you know, if you're going to change how the clubs run, then you, you've got to really change it from top to bottom. And um, Richard Arnold, you know, for all of the time that he's been there, 16 years, hasn't all been disastrous, but certainly in more recent years, you'd, you'd think that um, he hasn't covered himself in glory. Think back to moments like when he sat around the table uh, in a pub with fans and their, their leaked uh, videos coming out and stuff like that. Like, that's how he'll be remembered. There are better things that he's done during his time at Man United. But ultimately, if you're going to change the culture of the club, you do need a different guy to be sat at the very helm. And that's what they're going to end up doing. Now, it seems very, very likely that Jean-Claude Blanc is the man that's going to be coming into that seat. Um, he's a guy already um, working within the Ineos structure. And when you talk about him being involved in football, he's been involved in some big jobs, um, not just now, but formerly with Juventus and Paris Saint-Germain. And this is what kind of what Man United need. Now, I don't know a lot about the guy personally, but I was speaking to someone yesterday. It was like, look, he, he knows his stuff. Like he might not be the w- most well-known man in football for this job, but from the tasks he's had within football, he's gone about them very well. And there is reason to believe that if he does get this job, which I think he's going to, to be honest with you, then he can be trusted to start turning things over. So that's a reason to be optimistic from a Man United point of view. And yeah, look, at the end of the day, Man United want to become the most powerful club in the world again. That's what we need to set out here as well at the start. And so... Changing the CEO and finding one that you feel is in line with the way the club's going to be run in future is very important. So obviously, Sir Jim Ratcliffe coming in, putting in place probably very soon a guy that he knows very well and trusts seems to make sense. Yeah, I mean, there's been some discussion about this. It's probably worth also pointing out here that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is not making these decisions by himself. The other person heavily involved in this is Sir Dave Brailsford who was obviously formerly part of the cycling team that, that dominated the world of cycling. But he's been doing a lot of the top-down kind of audit, if you will, ahead of Ratcliffe landing at Manchester United and, and kind of seeing what he said. 
I'd imagine there are question marks. Now, I actually think that Jean-Claude Blanc feels like quite a nice fit here. He helped with Juventus returning from the Calciopoli scandal, which was the biggest scandal in maybe Italian football history, and helped to rebuild the club after they were left in a bit of a shambles after that entire affair became public and, and they were punished for it and relegated to Serie B, et cetera, et cetera. He also then, at PSG, was part of a massive redevelopment of the training facilities and ground, which helped to launch a lot of, you know, the these young players that we're seeing come through for PSG at the moment, but also just it is a talent stream over there. And it's helping to, you know, sort the club out in terms of not just players that make it through to the first team, but also others that go elsewhere and, and go on to develop, but make the club profit as well. So from that kind of perspective, I think this is pretty sensible. Skeptics will point to this, and I would go above the CEO, Dean, just to kind of begin with. They'll point to this and say, okay, so Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos have had, you know, very, very high success in the world of cycling. And currently Nice are top of Ligue 1, and they deserve credit for that. They've, they've brought in Faraoli, who's a brilliant young manager in the footsteps of De Zerbi, and seems to be creating something pretty special. But you'd argue that at Lausanne, which were the first football club I believe he owned, and then at Nice... It hasn't been brilliant. They haven't taken over the world. They haven't shot up the table and, and delivered on the promises. Now, you can put those down as learning experiences. And we know that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is a fan of Manchester United and therefore will have that extra drive to try and turn this around. But you can understand there being a scepticism of someone not only just buying 25% and what that will entail when the Glazers still own the majority of the football club and therefore can veto decisions. But also that you're looking at someone who's not overwhelmingly had success in the football world just yet. Yeah, I would say, like, don't worry too much about this 25% thing. Like, people keep coming back to that. Don't worry. Like, Sir Jim Ratcliffe is on the scene and he's going to have put just as much time and effort into this as if he had 60%. Like, uh, genuinely, like, that. that is every message that I'm getting. I don't think it's anyone's like... doubting his desire to fix things. It's just a question of whether that will be blocked from Florida, it won't be blocked. From Glazers. a football point of view, it won't be blocked. No, it won't. And they're still like putting he's... the money in for transfers, etc. Right. So if, if United play a, buy a player for a hundred million pounds, Ratcliffe's only fronting twenty-five million of that, whereas the Glazers still have to front well, fifty, sixty million of it. I mean, I wouldn't expect Man United to be buying a player for a hundred million no, pounds know, in the very near point. future. But um, yeah, look, I understand. There's always going to be skepticism around any sort of um, culture change, any sort of takeover that you get at a football club, but. United fans have been waiting a long time for some optimism and to get away from the full Glazer ownership. And this is a step in that direction. And Ratcliffe wouldn't have got involved in this if he thought it was limited at 25%. I believe that there's probably um, a reasoning for them to think that they can get a bigger foothold here further down the line. We'll have to wait to see. But look, yeah, they might not have been like the most successful story in the world so far, but Nice are top of Liga right now. They are playing... Yeah really good football that uh, they are they've changed the way that that, that that league is set out and they are ahead of PSG so at the moment Nice are having a better season than Man United so that that, that tells you a lot and I think I literally say Ratcliffe's a United fan he understands what needs to happen and that in itself is, is, a, is a massive advantage I want to point out like I'm not like in with Ratcliffe by the way I'm not like <laughs> this this is not like a message from their camps like I'll send out some positive vibes I am like completely neutral on this I'm just trying to dig into it and find out I kind of do want it to be optimistic because I'm fed up of all the doom and gloom around Man United but I do believe that like this this whole story is is to make Man United great again and to kind of ultimately determine that Man United will get back to being the driving force in European football that they once were. Like that this is not um this is not a small project that they are taking on. And it, it's gonna be really interesting to see how quickly it can all can all come together. But yeah, obviously the dust settling at the moment on this Richard Arnold announcement but mate there's so much intent around this 25% stake and, and changing the way the club is run that I think it does run deeper than them just taking a quarter of the club yeah you know I, I don't doubt that whatsoever I just I just wonder what it comes down to when you have a minority investor and a majority investor ultimately the majority investor 
gets to make the veto decisions, right? They they get that power because that's what their stake owns. That's that's my only misgiving about it. I think that there's plenty of optimism. I think that probably there's a lot of people with their heads and hearts in the right direction now. And I think that Ratcliffe will get a degree of control over this sporting project. I'm just wary that without full control or without a majority stake, it's very difficult to always get the things you want done, done. Think about it like this. Man United are not fulfilling their full value in a business market right now. If Ratcliffe can come in and transform the football club and they start to get back to winning things again, say over the next year, Man United really begin to become successful again on the pitch and they're in a title race or they win a trophy and they're starting to look better again. Like the value of the club goes up, the Glazers can sell the club for more money. The Glazers weren't going to sell the club in the end because they weren't going to make enough money out of it. This is a business asset for them. Yeah, And so by selling a smaller percentage of the business and then building that up again, I think that they will also be building the value for when they do eventually want to sell. Okay, fair enough. I think that's probably the, the best explanation of it that I've heard so far. Shall we move onwards from the CEO and start to sort of trickle down the club's hierarchy? Yeah, look, at number four, I mean, I, I won't go into loads of detail on this one because it's a, it's a little murkier at the moment, but there's a strong indication that United will end up bringing in a new director of football here. And I think that that would also make sense if you're going to start changing the hierarchy and start changing the way that the clubs run. And it makes sense again that you start to bring in people that are going to change the thinking around it. And John Murta currently has a, a big say in in the way the decisions that are made around recruitment and stuff. And that still might remain the case, but I wonder if his role changes a little bit because there are there's a lot of talk around Paul Mitchell, for example, coming into Man United, and I think that that's with good reason. I think that Paul Mitchell is um, definitely somebody that has been looked at by Man United at this stage to to come in and, and take a role as director at football at the club. And given his scouting network, given his contacts within the game, given his experience in English football, I think it would make sense. He was a player uh, initially in football, but then moved into uh, management and recruitment and you know, and during his time, he's been involved at MK Dons, he's been involved at Southampton, he's been involved at Tottenham, uh, spent a little spell at RB Leipzig. Um, and he's been linked to Man United for for quite a long time, to be honest with you. Um, was it Monaco as well, wasn't he? So, yeah. he's, you know, he's got a lot of different experiences across football. And yeah, there seems to be a, a strong feeling that if United do decide to bring in a sporting director that he's probably leading the race for that at this stage. Other people mentioned like Michael Edwards that I wouldn't write off by, by any stretch of the imagination, but um, that, yeah, that would be quite the, uh, quite the turn of coat, wouldn't it? To, um, it would to be have wouldn't left it? Liverpool and move to Manchester United. There's, it would, but you never know things that, you know, you never know, of course. And there's, there's obviously different things. The other one obviously is Dougie Friedman, who's been linked extensively in the press. Now, whether that's just talk that's been, you know, ex- exacerbated and, and maybe, made to be louder than it actually is, is a different question. But actually, in terms of what Dougie Friedman's done, it's not quite the Manchester United set to raid rival that it's maybe being made out to be in the, in the tabloids because I think there's probably less love lost than Manny would expect between Crystal Palace and Manchester United. But Friedman's done a quietly quite a good job, I think, at Palace. And there's been some players brought in, youngsters, Elise, Erze, Mark Gay, whose value has all been exemplified he's been able to lock down Eze and Elise in particular to new contracts when it looked like they might leave Crystal Palace this summer quietly I think that Friedman's done a pretty good job at Crystal Palace and I think that Manchester United could do a whole lot worse yeah I mean Palace would be devastated to lose him um he's he's built really good foundations for that club but I mean you're also talking about a very very different level of expectation and ambition and you know you can go and sign players from the championship and give them their the platform to then step up um man united can't really be shopping at that level they've that they're kind of looking to take those guys at the next step so i'm I'm not entirely sure how that would work it it would seem a little bit risky to me but you know dougie friedman has been in the game his entire life he's got a, a great um, network himself and people i know that know dougie friedman uh talk about him very highly so I, i'm again not going to criticize the guy himself at all it just feels a little risky to me to be taking somebody that is shopping at a kind of different level at the moment and it's probably a different level of experience to perhaps somebody like Paul Mitchell might but 
it's all about finding the right levels, you know, for where Jim Ratcliffe wants to aim and how quickly as well. That that's all part of this. You know, what is United's ambition over the next eighteen months, over the next three years, five years, ten years? Like, how long is this project? We don't know yet. We don't know exactly what the scope is to to turn things around. What we do know is that for the last decade, it hasn't been good enough, and that the part of the reasoning for that is that the hierarchy hasn't been right. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's a very difficult position to obviously take on there is a lot of expectation there's got to be a lot of work with the current manager and that's also a, a relationship that needs to be considered now I've seen United fans clamoring at points on on social media for Edwin van der Sar obviously not very well at the moment so I think that any move would probably have to continue or take that into account but more than that I think van der Sar has proved himself relatively rookie during his time at Ajax. It hasn't been a plain sailing ship by any extent of the imagination. And whilst he does have a working relationship with Eric Ten Hag from that time, it does kind of feel like that would be a gamble also. And one that seems to be driven more by sentiment in that Van der Sar was obviously an excellent goalkeeper of Manchester United than it is necessarily for footballing nous and, and pedigree right now. And maybe that's what United need to kind of come away from a little bit. Exactly that. Like I, I, emotion and sentiment are two things that haven't worked particularly well for Man United in recent times. When uh, you know, you know, going for Solskjaer and stuff like that, it's it's um, it's worked for a little bit, but ultimately it hasn't worked out. And I have no idea personally what what Van der Sar, um, what the ceiling actually is for him in this role, and I don't know how good he could become. Perhaps he'd be excellent, but. I know Jim Ratcliffe is not going to go appointing people on sentimental reasons. He's he's got too much uh, riding on this to do that, and yeah, I, I would suggest that it, it probably won't happen at, at this stage. But yeah, it's an interesting thing to consider for sure. Um, at number three, I'm going to move it on because I don't think there's too much more to say on the director of football because we don't know for sure as and when that change will come into play. So let's wait and see. I imagine CEO um, comes first, right? Like, yeah, the CEO is going to start working first. But at number three, something we do have to look out for is the manager situation because, look, Ten Hag is going to have assurances that he's safe right now. And I believe that that's true. Um, you can look at it so many different ways with how Ten Hag's doing so far. He's the most inf- He's got the most informed team in the Premier League right now. He's also got the in inverted team with commas, I think it's the most yeah, unconvincing uh, record of form that I've seen in, in quite some time. So it's difficult to figure out exactly where the land lies. Probably somewhere in between. Man United are just an okay team. That's probably where we're at. Um, he's also been let down by the fact that he's not been able to get his team, um, his full strength team out on the pitch. United have never got, you know, all of their favourite players and their best players out on the pitch at the same time. Their, their injury records from the season have been dreadful. So Ten Hag will be given a little time to prove himself. And from what I understand, like Sir Jim Ratcliffe is, is happy to give... Ten Hag the time to to turn this around and to prove that he's the man to lead Man United forward and that's not a problem. But that isn't like you have this job at any cost. Like Ten Hag will not be safe forever. If he goes through a bad spell, if Man United go out of the Champions League, if they're not in the title, if they're not in the race for their Champions League, if there's no signs of Man United getting somewhere with this project by the end of the season, Ten Hag's job won't be safe. So and I don't think that United want anybody anywhere in the club to feel completely safe in their job. I think everybody needs to feel like they're on their toes at this moment. And I think that that includes Ten Hag. Now, obviously, to a certain degree, you want him to feel secure, like he's got foundations. And I was actually um, at a, a dinner last weekend with Eric Ten Hag there, and he was speaking on the stage. And he did speak very calmly and did say, that he feels completely comfortable at Man United, that he, he was very assured in the fact that his project would end in United winning things, that they would get back to where they needed to be. He spoke very well about that. But we've had a lot of people speak a good game and can't follow through with the actions that are needed. And that's what's ultimately going to be telling as we get to 2024, because Ten Hag needs a lot of things to go right. He needs his best players to be fit again. He needs to be backed in the transfer market in the right way. He needs luck to be on his side. And he needs his team ultimately to be performing better and showing a philosophy of play that we haven't seen so far. 
we thought we were seeing it last season and United, you know, won a trophy, got to another cup final. But this season, I couldn't really tell you exactly what Man United's objectives are when it comes to like how they score a goal. So that's going to have to change. And I think that Jim Ratcliffe will, you know, with the rest of the the club that, that study these things, analyse those those facets of, of Ten Hag's management and and see how things go. But ultimately, he's okay for now, but he does need to pick up results because he's not safe forever. No, I mean, as you say, nobody should be safe forever. And we've just seen this week the fact that Union Berlin and there was Fischer parted ways after five years. The job he's done over the last half a decade at Union has been absolutely spectacular. But this year has been dreadful. I think it's 13 losses in the last 14 games. And suddenly nobody's position, even as heartbreaking as it was for those two, you know, parties to, to part ways, it had to be made for the, the good of the football club, I think, at this point, even if it's incredibly sad. And so, therefore, you know, you look at something like that where there's a real bond that I don't think Ten Hag has in the same kind of way. I don't think any, really any manager, apart from maybe a Diego Simeone or a Jurgen Klopp, has with their fan base, can all come crashing down if the results fail to match up to expectations. And the expectations at Manchester United remain high. Now, maybe that's something that needs to change or at least needs to be tempered in order to allow the club to rebuild in a sustainable fashion rather than trying to force quick fixes through that immediately make United you know, tenable in the short term and, and continue to perpetuate the problems in the long term. But generally, I think that whilst they should probably stick with Ten Hag and let him see how it does with the recruitment or with a better recruitment strategy in place, I'm going to talk about that in part two because both Ratcliffe and David Brailsford have been pretty scathing about United's recruitment processes in recent times in the media. You have to go back a couple of years, but there was you know, a major story from Ratcliffe in the newspapers here in the UK where he was like, United are throwing away money. They're basically spending silly money in, different, in, in the wrong kind of places. That's something he'll obviously look to address. But I do think that once that issue is out of the way and once he does have that control, he's allowed to see then what a manager does with that full support that he expects to be giving him. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's a perfect way to kind of segue us into that the second half of this show where we will discuss the ins and outs that are going to have to happen at Man United. Okay, well, we'll be talking the playing side of things after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we're talking all things Manchester United in the first of our deep dive episodes, each of which is going to focus on a different football club and look at what's making them interesting for good or for bad. I'm Jack Collins and I'm joined by Dean Jones talking through all these things. And right, we've done the off-field elements of things, Dean. We're now going to look at the on-field elements. And I just kind of wanted to to read that quote out because it's pretty brutal. It is from an interview with the Times in 2019 when Jim Ratcliffe said, Ineos never wants to be the dumb money in town, never ever. United haven't got the manager selection right, haven't bought well. They have been the dumb money, which you see with players like Fred. That's potentially quite harsh on Fred, who was just completely misused in his role. They could actually actually do with him now. Yeah, they, they really could do with him. But it also reportedly, Ratcliffe had a conversation with United Chiefs, where he openly criticised the transfer of Casemiro for the amount of money that United paid for him, thinking it to be, whilst another short-term band-aid, an actual pretty poor investment for the long haul. And I think we might be seeing the fruits of that start to bear this season after a good opening campaign from Casemiro last year. What's it look like in the terms of ins and outs now for Manchester United? Because Whilst they won't have a complete squad overhaul in in January, and we we can't expect that to be done in one transfer window, there will start to be something that maybe moves out this mishmash of players that we've seen throughout the last couple of years, right? And it's been something that's plagued United whilst they've been circling through managers, while they've been rifling through different styles and expectations, et cetera, et cetera. What it looks like on the pitch is often a mishmash of lots of different types of player who've been brought in to satisfy lots of different types of managers. And that sort of streamlining of the squad to fit with an ethos seems to be something that will be high up on the list of priorities. Yeah, you're right. That is that is definitely the case. And I'm going to speak about the ins when I get to number one. I'm going to start with the two and that's the outs. And, you know, to, to touch on Casemiro, which 
you're right to bring up for sure. Um, Casemiro is a player that United did overspend on and they will desperately try to get that money back. Now, if there is genuinely a, a club in Saudi Arabia that will give United their money back on Casemiro, they'll jump at it because that's the only way they're ever going to get that money back. That, that, that sort of money is not coming again from a big club in Europe. You know, given Casemiro's performance levels this season, I think we're going to struggle to find that. And so while I think, you know, it's very harsh on Casemiro to judge him so quickly this season because he's dipped off. But it's he important was to also remember, last season. Yeah, it's important to remember that United needed him last season. We've been yeah. crying out for years that United needed a six. But to sign someone who Real Madrid were happy to give away is a little bit of a worrying statement in terms of where the two clubs are at right now. And look, it's the truth of where the clubs are at. I think that that's probably something that's worth pointing out in that United are not above signing cast-offs, if you will. And that might that might seem harsh, but Varane and Casemiro were let go relatively freely by Real Madrid to Manchester United. And you don't imagine Real Madrid do that if they think that those players have a significant part to play in their immediate future. £70 million for Casemiro. I mean, no wonder Real Madrid were willing to let him go. Um, they've, they've kind of moved beyond that, haven't they? You, know, you look at Real Madrid's makeup now and they, they're bringing in Chuameni and Camavinga. They already had him, right? So this is the, the kind of key point. Yeah, yeah, he true. was already there, red-shirted and ready to go. And that's the mark of a well-run football club in so many different ways. That's it. And so United have obviously struggled to to fill this void, even this season, you know, bring in Amrabat and, you know, he's not even playing half the time. So it's a, it's a position United have struggled with. And obviously um, there are issues when people are, are buying the club and they've looked through mistakes that have been made and they're like, okay, so you've got Casemiro here who you're not going to get your money back on unless we can somehow claw the money back from Saudi Arabia. Jaden Sancho, what on earth has gone on with your management around this situation at every level? Not just with like whether Ten Hag's fallen out with him or not, but in terms of repairing the damage from that, protecting the player a little bit, surely, and also protecting their club's asset as well. Like the three levels of that, it's just complete nightmare from someone who would be coming in to, to have an ownership uh, level within this club. So that Dayton Sancho is a big problem. Rafael Varane has now had a you know a fallout with Eric Ten Hag because he's he's not in the team and he's seeing Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire get picked ahead of him. Um, so that's not ideal. But where does Rafael Varane go? Varane clearly not going to be happy if he's not in this team. But not wholly convinced that at thirty years old, Rafael Varane wants to go to Saudi Arabia. I think that he still feels that he has something to offer in European football at a top club. We'll wait to see whether offers can come along that offer him that pathway. And then you've got Van der Beek, you've got Martial, and you've even got players like Anthony, who again, a big player purchase, a massive spend. Ajax probably laughing when that deal was signed off for the amount of money that it was. And you're thinking, when's this player going to live up to this value? He's not. Like Anthony, there's no signs that Anthony's going to do that. Now, I do think that seeing... Uh, Ineos come in and make this statement of intent by getting rid of Richard Arnold straight away. And the players will be a little bit like get a kick up the backside from that and be like, oh, like this lot seem like they might mean business. And maybe they do matter more than I thought they would. And maybe I'm going to be playing for my future here a little bit. I think United players haven't felt like that enough. I do. I really do feel like they've been going through the most. Look at Anthony Martial, the way he's walked through the last nine years of his career. I'm sorry, but like... Fifty million pound striker and the amount of goals he's returned. I know he's had a lot of injuries and like he doesn't want to be injured. So like I'm always, a, I am cautious to criticize him too much. But like when he's on the pitch now, he just doesn't look like he's going to score a goal. And these are the things that United have to address in January and then in the summer. How do they deal with getting these players out of the club, or how do they find a way of making them fit in? Casemiro. I imagine by the end of the season, he'll have to be gone. Sancho, I don't know how you find a resolution to it. Um, Dylan asked me the other day, this is a five-year-old kid. Why doesn't Sancho ever play for Man United anymore? And I said, oh, he fell out with the manager. Okay, so what happens now? I said, well, he didn't say sorry. And Dylan went, so if he'd have said sorry, he would be playing. And I was kind of laughing. I was like, yeah. 
I guess so. <laughs> is that really? I guess that is kind of what it comes. You got a seventy million pound asset who's not playing, and he's like trading with the kids and kind of rotting as an asset because he wouldn't say sorry about something he it's wrote. A good lesson for your five year old. Twitter always say sorry. Always, <laughs> always say sorry. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you put it in layman's terms like that, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. And I think that yeah, any of us will be, will be like baffled by the by the way that that situation's been unable to open out and obviously there's Anthony and there's Greenwood and there's other situations like that 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 are going on in the background now that that need to be dealt with one way or the other so they're massive issues mate and that they they add up to a lot of money that can either be reinvested or is totally lost I think when you look at Manchester United spending of late and you of late over the last five six years to be honest you look at the amount of money that's been spent on assets which had either no resale value or were allowed to rot, as you say, or wind down. And you look at the money spent, even going back to someone like Paul Pogba, which felt like a, you know, a really good deal. Well, not not good deal in terms of money, but it felt like a a statement of intent from Manchester United at that exact point, right? That he was able to, to come back to the club and he would be part of this revolution. And then it didn't work on the pitch for various different reasons. There were moments of class that we've seen throughout Pogba's career. But he was allowed to wind his contract down and leave for nothing to go back to Juventus, who have managed to sign him for free twice now. And you think when you look at that kind of element of it, and look, Paul Pogba's career at Juventus second time didn't go to plan. Obviously, the ear injuries, and now the scandal that surrounds him around this kind of doping issue that no one's quite sure of the resolution of yet. But you look at when you go back to those two signings, I think it was 95 million between them for Casemiro and Varane. And you don't look at Man- you look at Real Madrid, who were happy to let these two players go, and it takes me back to something that United used to do. Right, it'd be good players who had just started to turn at the end of their careers. And look, Varane is thirty, as you say, but we talk quite often on this podcast about the idea of rings in the legs and old Sam Tyism. That Rafa and Varane has been playing top level football for twelve, thirteen years at a very, very consistent, a lot of games a year level. And there is a difference between that and someone like perhaps Luka Modric, who actually ended up being a real late bloomer in his career and is still part of this Real Madrid setup at 38. So if Real Madrid, knowing what we do about the fact that Modric and Kroos still very much part of that system at advanced ages, just wouldn't have let Casemiro and Varane go, even at those exorbitant fees, if they felt, that those players still had something really to offer the team and they were not they were replace they were irreplaceable. So when you see what other teams are now doing and allowing these things to happen, and Manchester United are no longer the beneficiary, but actually the team on the other side of this, that's a real kind of thing to turn around for a new sporting department. They have to change that perception of United being the team who end up with you know, these players who are at the end of their careers. And look, I'm not saying that United should go and pursue the policy that Chelsea once did of not really signing anyone over a certain age because we know that that has its own problems. We know United have had success in the past bringing in players late in their careers who were able to offer something, but not at these kind of fees. No, exactly. And then they've got got to be careful. And I think it takes us on perfectly to our number one uh, most important ranking of all, Ins, the players that can possibly, potentially transform Man United on the pitch. And how soon can this all begin? Now, obviously, as a Man United fan, you are desperate in January to see sign of hope. You want to see, yes, Martial go and Van der Beek go and whoever else go. But you also want to see someone come in. And I think a lot of people would probably want to see a centre-back come in. So, look, I believe that their top target is Jean-Claire Tadebo. That's that's useful considering he plays for Nice, and this is a tricky one, isn't it? Because well, they can't get him on loan after the new Premier League rules, so that's okay. <laughs> they can't get him on loan. Um, Tadebo is a great player, and he's having a great season. I think he's a very interesting profile of player too. You look at Tadebo; he's only twenty-three year old. Um, he's a newly French international, and considering he's twenty-three years old. He's already played for Toulouse, 
Barcelona, Schalke, Benfica, and now he's playing with Nice. So irrelevant. The less of... said about that spell at Benfica, the better, to be honest. But yeah, go on. Completely. So I was just going to say, like, take away like how involved he was in each of those things. The experiences that he's already gained within his career are pretty invaluable, good and bad. And he's got to the stage now at Nice where he's part of a team that literally haven't conceded a goal for two months. And they're top of Liga. And he's the poster boy of the project at the moment. And the new owner, or the new part owner of Man United, is the owner of his club in Nice, who are said to be open to the idea of letting him go in 2024. And here's his opportunity to step up. And Man United have been looking at him for a while now. So how can they do this? Because, it, look, it's not illegal for, for this deal to go through. So even though Ratcliffe does has fingers in both pies here and he is owner at Nice and he's going to be a, a part owner at Man United, a permanent deal can come together. But there's going to be eyes on this um, if the first transfer he makes is switching a player who's very, very good from one of his clubs to the other one. So it'll be interesting to see if this is actually the way that they start things. But from any conversations I've had recently, I come away from it genuinely believing that one centre-half is of utmost importance for United to fix. And that obviously makes sense given the fact that Johnny Evans has been brought up into the club. Maguire is suddenly like their most reliable player at centre-half. Martinez is out. Lindelof, well, does he have a future at the club? Who knows? Of course, like Varane. The most was useful player about. that United have had in the last like 10 years, Victor Lindelof. He just yeah. does his job quietly and wrote mostly quite well. <laughs> exactly that. But yeah, Tadebo is a player that would make a lot of sense. Now, even if it's not him, obviously that they've, They've scouted other players too. I mean, one that you'll know more about than me is Gonzalo Inacio um, at, at Sporting. Mm. Um, he's definitely somebody that United have, have scouted extensively and, and would um, consider bringing in if the Tadebo thing doesn't work out. You'd have to tell me whether those two have, have similarities or how whether, whether it'd be a good fit. But this is the route that I think we're looking down. If United are to make a significant signing in Jan, I do think that we're probably looking at a centre-half. Yeah, I mean, look, I really like Inacio, but I think that pretty much all of the football we've seen him play at club level has been as part of a back three. And whether that translates perfectly into what United do, I don't know. He's left-footed, which is obviously a bonus as a centre-back. People look to those kind of players to sit into that role, and you'd imagine that that's what United are looking for in terms of someone to to step up here. You know, with the injuries to Lissandra Martinez, it's not been a position of particular strength. And I think that we're looking at Anasio as, as an obvious option there to, to step into that role. But I would be concerned if, you know, I think Anasio is a brilliant talent and we've seen him play in a back four for Portugal, but very much not for sporting under Amorim because they play almost exclusively in that three at the back formation. So it would be a gamble more, I think, than Todibo, even if the Portuguese league has a pretty good record of transferring players into the Premier League and them succeeding, it would still remain a bit of a gamble in terms of how he translates to a back four centre-back. But he is an incredibly talented young player and someone who there will be a lot of clubs linked to because of the profile and the attributes that he has. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, So yeah, some reason for excitement again for Man United fans. And look, for Harry Maguire, um, I remember in the last international break, Pretty much everyone was was writing that Maguire would be leaving Man United still in January and would be looking for ways to um, get more game time and make sure he's in the Euro squad. And, you know, I spoke to someone and I'd kind of written the opposite because I didn't get that feeling. Because Maguire was getting a taste of of life back in the first team at United and he was going to be getting more opportunities, I was kind of told to write the opposite. And I've been quite fortunate, really, in the fact that Maguire has continued to... um, evolve I guess and improve and um, show that he is worth keeping around so I think now we've reached the stage where Harry Maguire won't be leaving Man United in January um, for good or for bad I don't know but at least United have got a player that's pretty much their most informed player at the moment I think you could probably argue yeah. um, 
And a good version of Harry Maguire is a good player. So I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Just to end on this segment, really, of the other thing United obviously struggling with is goals. And away from them signing a centre-back, um, there's a possibility of midfielder, but a forward of some sort is going to be pretty important. Now, what sort of forward will it be? I'm not sure yet. And I'm not entirely sure Man United know that either. Somebody I was speaking to yesterday said... Look, any targets that you talk about at the moment might not be strictly the same by the time we get to January. Like, we're still a little while off getting there. You've still got any else to actually come into the club and begin things. And then you've got the potential of somebody like Paul Mitchell starting a job if that does end up happening. And if he does, he might have new targets, new links to players, which would help you recruit. So it's difficult to know who, but it's either going to be someone to back up Hoyland more comfortably. I mean, Hoyland, for all his glory in the Champions League so far this season, hasn't got a Premier League goal yet. And, you know, I mean, he's been a little unfortunate. There's no um, getting away from that. But I've been very critical of Nicholas Jackson this season for not scoring enough goals and for not making the most of his opportunities. So I can't be hypocritical and criticise him on one and and not no, I don't want to criticize it's the wrong word because he's he's a young forward who's like making his name at Old Trafford as the number nine you know role with a lot of pressure on him but he hasn't scored a Premier League goal yet he's done it in the Champions League fine but you know for sake of argument Veghorst has three Bundesliga goals this season and he's got three goals in his last three games Hoyland hasn't scored in the Premier League yet so what do Man United do about that there's been talk about bringing in an experienced forward to back him up, to help him grow into his role, to help him feel more comfortable, to um, help United score crucial goals at crucial times. But they're hard to come by, you know, unless you can get Mediterranean or somebody. I'm not sure who you can actually find that's going to be a good fit for that. And if you don't go for that out and out forward and say Martial does end up staying and Rashford's still there to play there if need be, that it's going to have to be another wide forward. Um, if Jaden Sancho does end I up leaving... I was going to say, that, that surely is contingent on whether Sancho uh, leaves or not. Part, yeah, I mean, heavily. But, I mean, Jaden Sancho is not in the setup right now anyway. So you'd still consider you're going to have to do it. But ultimately, because Anthony's not producing either, that gives them even more of a problem. You know, you've got Jaden Sancho, Greenwood and Anthony technically on your books as, as Man United players who should... Really, if you if you were to go back a few years and say Man United are going to have these three players, you know, tied to them in the twenty three twenty four season, you'd be like, "Oh, that sounds good." It's not. <laughs> it's really not. Um, but yeah, so something needs to change, and we'll see. Again, that there's avenues that they're exploring, and there's a lot of players that Man United are linked to at the moment of various different kinds. Um, as I say, it's not really worth going into them in too much detail right now because I'm not sure where we're going to be at by the time we get to January. And I think it's probably an, an episode that we do closer to the time. But they've definitely got um, different types of forward uh, on the radar by the time we get to January and they'll have to sign somebody. Yeah, yeah. It's just a question of, I suppose, who comes in there and who can make, who's a good enough player to make an immediate difference and impact but also isn't going to cost them a fortune in the January market. And the options remain pretty limited. So that's going to be something that they're going to have to come to terms with. And look, to kind of tie it back to what we started with was, you know, Ratcliffe saying Ineos don't want to be the dumb money in the market. Mm. Well, United have had to be in some ways. That doesn't excuse a lot of these transfer decisions or the fact that they went through with them. But people know that there is money and prestige at Manchester United. And so smaller clubs basically will sit and go, well, you can pay us what we need for this because you're Manchester United and we're not. And that's a quite difficult negotiation position to be in, especially when clubs can see that the need is so great at United that they have to go and actually make, buy, you know, buy these players that make a difference. And you look at someone, you know, just as to pluck someone out of the air, Nico Gonzalez at Fiorentina, who's started the season on fire again, someone that Brentford were very interested in in the summer, looked to make a club record bid for to try and bring him in. And Fiorentina held firm because he was so important to Fiorentina. And maybe that's different from Nico Gonzalez's perspective if that club is Manchester United rather than Brentford in terms of prestige and playing in the top competitions and what that means. 
But why would Fiorentina sell at any sort of cut price rate to Manchester United, especially given that they went in and signed Amrabat on this season-long loan at the start of the year, which actually looks like quite a good deal. So trying to strike that balance, especially in forward positions where you pay a premium for players that are in form and can make a difference straight away to clubs, is a very, very difficult ask. Yeah, absolutely that. But, um, oh, mate. That's quite a to-do list, isn't it? That's quite a to-do list uh, for old 25% Ineos to start getting to work on. I mean, I uh, hope they're on a good day, right? Um, and I hope that the, the lads are all ready for the task at hand here. But um, yeah, I think this is a, a topic worth addressing. Um, a new Manchester United, the dawn of potentially. Um, it won't all change tomorrow. It won't all change in the new year. But there is some light at the end of the tunnel, a tunnel which eventually might see the Glazers walk away into the sunset. So for Man United fans, it all starts here, maybe. Baby maybe. steps are good steps at <laughs> this stage and with what we already know. But with that, I think it's probably time for us to close this first deep dive on Manchester United and what the future looks like under the Sir Jim Ratcliffe era with Ineos coming in to buy that 25% stake in the club. For now... All that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to all of you for listening today. Thank you very, very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. It's been an enlightening 40 minutes or so. Cheers, mate. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I did too. I did too. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening to this deep dive on Manchester United. For more content from us, there's another episode that came out earlier this week where we spoke with our head coach, Harry Brooks, about the most important players in the Premier League teams that are leading the way so far and a couple of other discussions as well. So that's the last episode on this feed behind this one. Make sure you go and check it out. And we'll be back next week to talk all things international break and some of the early contenders for the Euros and the Copper America next summer. Thank you for listening. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.